the commonality of crossing party lines for different bills. And back during the Reagan era, it certainly wasn't ever 50-50, but it was, it was people willing to cross the aisle a lot more. And today it's just gone further and further and further apart. We each have our own gift to give and yours is unique. Welcome to the Calvin Corelli Show. I'm really excited to have you. All right, welcome everybody. I'm Calvin Corelli. I'm here with Doug Sutton. Doug and I met in Encinitas some like, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that and hung out and had a good time. We haven't actually met since, but now we are here talking politics. We've never talked politics before. I posted on my Facebook like, hey, any Biden voters out there that are courageous enough to jump on and have a conversation with me about why so I can understand it. And uh, Doug volunteered. I'm super, super uh, grateful that you did. Um, thanks for doing that. Welcome. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Doug, tell us a little bit about what you do today, who you are, just so we have a sense. I do business consulting. Uh, I've had the pleasure and honor of working with a number of great consulting firms over the years, primarily in the area of business growth strategy and profit optimization. Uh, I grew up in a, on a farm in Illinois and from there transitioned into the real estate industry when I was 20 years old and had a number of mentors in that space. And I uh, had become a CEO for one of the largest uh, franchises in Arizona. And uh, from there started working with some personal uh, development leaders and high-end consulting companies. And I've had my own boutique consulting company since 2012. So Basically, I like to look at it like being the CSI detective where I go into a company and assess what's going on, right? So look at the culture, the story, the messaging, and be really a detective to figure out like, hey, there's a crime and they want me to solve it. So what is the, the crime? It's that the, they're not producing results that they want, and I got to figure out why. So picking up the stones, yeah. asking questions, holding a place of neutrality, and, nice. and there, I like that. integrating things, yeah. So that's what There's I mean. a crime, which is people aren't buying this product and they're not aware of it that's a crime against humanity because this right. is amazing i like that and your yeah. company's name is conscious growth is that correct right. that's exactly i love that that's amazing well that's you so know good. one of the one of the perspectives i have and it's it's relevant to the times that we're in on a political level as well is that uh, i believe that unconscious growth causes unintended consequences mm-hmm. and there are actions that people take that they're not consciously aware of in their mind, they're being more reactive based upon the stimuli that they're being presented with or the deeply rooted patterns of behavior that they have or belief systems that they're carrying on or whoever they're listening to in the news or the media and based upon that, take an action. And so the word conscious just is the same word as aware, they're interchangeable words. So how can we invite people to be conscious or aware of, wait a minute, why am I taking the action that I am? Is this really in alignment with my values? Um, What will be the impact or the ripple effect of these words I'm about to say or the actions I'm about to take both now and into the future for my life and the world around me? So that's more of like, I guess, the philosophical approach. And it's my belief that when a company or an individual has that consideration of being aware or conscious of how their actions have a ripple effect, that they can set themselves up to avoid the unintended consequences, um, like eating certain foods and it feels great going down, but it's not really good on the body (laughs) or doing something for the environment that they're just not consciously aware or even communicating within their business or with their loved ones that they're not aware of how their words impact the 
environment around them or their culture. So, yeah, that's, that's great. Goal. So, yeah, you don't you we just talked about like my my <clears throat> political project is is called Notable Nation and and you haven't even you haven't looked I haven't shared that with you yeah. before. So so you don't know, but it came out of this moment for me when in in 2013 when I was living in India and. Uh, my wife asked me some questions for my birthday, some big life questions like, you know, if you could do anything, what would you do or whatnot? And this sentence came to me fully formed. It was, I want to be a special advisor to the president of the United States on conscious nation building. So that was that was my my sort of entry point into the world of politics. So I love that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And my, my whole approach to business is the same. Like spiritual entrepreneurship is, is the term that I've been using. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. I love it. So, well, there's no coincidences. And just like <laughs> having this conversation, I'm sure it will yeah, yeah. evolve to something beyond the reason why we thought we came here today. <laughs> exactly. Something beyond that. So, yeah. All right. Phenomenal. So let's talk about your, your, <clears throat> what's your history with policy? What's your background there? What's your, where are you at? Grew up in the Midwest on a farm, as I mentioned before, and very conservative part of the country. And I can say that a lot of those conservative values still stay very true to who I am today, uh, especially, I guess, if we're looking at fiscal policy. And I grew up strong Republican. I was in the Young Republicans Club in college and was one of the leaders in my in my group and uh, did advocate uh, outreach and campaigning for people within my local community. Uh, my first election when I was old enough to vote was George Bush Sr. Uh, and then, uh, so my voting history, just to be very clear, was Bush Sr., Ross Perot, because I loved the idea of an independent business person that was not a politician. And mm. a lot of people thought I was crazy and that it was people like me that gave the election to Clinton uh, because I just didn't like Bob Dole and I loved Ross Perot. I was very passionate about politics at that time. Bush Jr., Bush Jr., um, McCain, Romney, and Clinton. Hmm. So I bet you very few people have that exact history. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, was a big, it was a big a big chasm that I crossed uh, in, the, in the last election. Interesting, yeah. I think election. Obama would drew, I think, a lot of Republican voters, right, for... I honestly don't know. And, and, and here's the thing for me, I guess, in previous elections... The moment Obama won, I was like, awesome, game on. Like, I actually right. wanted McCain. I voted for McCain. I voted for Romney. But it was right. like there was this willingness to, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, I, I can go with that. And uh, and had Gore won, I I would have been just as, as okay and happy with that. Uh, of course, right. I had different philosophical perspectives around certain policy positions. But, you know, at the end of the day, I looked at them as pretty decent human beings and people that I could, you know, accept as my president, even though I may not agree with them. Right. So what happened? So Trump changed things, it sounds like. Yeah. He made you abandon yeah. the yeah. ticket. <laughs> you know, there's uh, Emerson. I, I love studying philosophy, and Emerson's one of my favorite philosophers. And one of his sayings is that who you are speaks so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot that Trump says that I don't agree with. From my observation and perspective, the who he is is something that it's very difficult for me to support or get behind. Mm -hmm. And when I look at core values. And, um, and what is the who he is? What are, what are the qualities that you see there? Yeah. So, if, and also from a consulting hat as well, if I was like hiring a leader within an organization or someone to be part of a culture of a company, that there is inherently a ripple effect or impact, like as I mentioned with conscious growth, 
that a person's personality or their psychological makeup impacts other people around them. And what I've observed, and when I first realized that I could not support Trump, and I loved the idea of a non-politician and an independent, just like I said, with Ross Perot, I was all about Perot. And, and part of me was hopeful. And even when I had the resistance around Trump, I was kind of like, not necessarily promised, but suggested that, hey, once he gets in office, he'll change. But there was this divisiveness and an energy of attacking anyone that did not agree with him. Um, even people within his own party. Uh, I lived in Arizona, uh, as I mentioned, for 10 years, and I loved John McCain. And the way that he attacked John McCain and the things he said about him and or anyone. And we can set aside the partisan politics and set aside the people from the Democratic Party that he attacks and says things about. And this has this um, what I've observed as a behavior that if someone disagrees with him, that there's an inability to receive negative feedback or constructive feedback. And instead, this automated response to go on the attack and deflect or deny or turn it around on the other person. And so seeing the Republican primary and literally it was like he bought JebBush.com. And, and so if you go to JebBush.com, it was a Donald Trump website. And, and you know, what he did to Santorum and uh, the guy from Texas is escaping me. And, and uh, you know, all the different people that were on that ticket, Marco Rubio was just attack, 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 John Kasich, attack. Um, it, it just feels like a vindictive, dishonest, way of being. And I've seen that in organizations as well, where there may be a top salesperson or a very talented CEO candidate to come into a company to run an organization that has the skill set, they've got the background and the expertise and the knowledge, and maybe policy positions about how to run a company. But because of their psychological and emotional makeup would be toxic to the culture of the company. And you can give a company the best strategy and tactics in the world, but if it is underlying a toxic culture or a leader that has that type of mentality, it can ruin the organization. And I had that fear uh, that, that that might be the makeup that would happen with Trump. And over the last four years, I really feel that it's only been validated, unfortunately, from my experience. Got it. I think that's a very, that's, I think that is probably honestly the most valid criticism that I've that I've heard of, of in like, I'm not the ultimate arbiter of what was valid, right? But in, yeah. in, in my view, I think that is a very on point, very, very valid criticism. I, I will say, I don't know if he attacks people who disagree with him or attack people who attacks him. Cause that's, that's what I see. What I've noticed the most is like, if you attack him, he's going to sure shit attack you back, right? Like no question about that. He's a massive bully. Does he, does he handle people who disagree with him, but aren't necessarily, like if you undermine him, he'll attack you, right? Like, but, but does he agree? Does he attack people who just disagree with him respectfully? Does that happen or no, I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I've, I felt that there was definitely that attacking uh, tone from my perspective, especially during the primaries. And there's a, there's a level of name calling and just using oh, yeah. elementary, just like uh, childish type of names. And I don't, do you have any kids? I do have kids, yeah. Okay, cool. So, you know, and, and I've never had kids. So I, I've only seen this happen where 
you may hold a spoon for your child and then open your mouth like ha ah, like that and you put it in and then the child mimics your behavior and I, I think I see this in leadership positions where this is my biggest concern Calvin my biggest concern is that demeanor of the attacking the mean-spiritedness even if someone attacks them I think a great leader especially people in leadership positions can weather attacks that's kind of what they do and we can go back to Obama to George W. Bush, to um, Bush Sr., to Clinton. Um, Reagan wasn't attacked that much. A lot of people liked him, but even p- some people attacked him or, or said yeah, negative attacked, comments. Yeah. That there's a way of just being able to deflect that, that that's a responsibility that a leader has. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the CEO of a company, the leader of a household or a family, and certainly the president of the United States sets the tone and an example for other people to follow. Right. And that's probably my biggest concern about the state of our political climate and this divisiveness that we see in our world today, that there is that the president of all people sets that tone and that standard of energy and demeanor of how to engage with someone that disagrees. So I completely agree. So, so my, my dream is for some president at some point <laughs> like a Nelson Mandela, right? Mm-hmm. Who's done the work, who's, who's, you know, uh, yeah, done his own inner work so that he can show up as that leader that stands very firm yeah. and unifies people. That's my, my dream leader at some point. Trump is not that guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's no question about that, but it's, it's, you know, we only get to pick between two options in this yeah. election, right? So, uh, or I guess Kanye is also running, but like, you know, <laughs> of the two that actually have a chance of winning, there are only yep. two of them. So, so yes, there's a lot of qualities that I wish, you know, Trump had or that I wish he didn't have. And, you know, um, so you have to weigh what's more yep. important to you, right? And And where I'm coming from is what I see is a, political class, like political system, Democrat versus Republicans, they fight on, they've, you know, pre-Trump, right? They've been arguing sort of on paper, but really behind the scenes, they've been all buddies and pals and they have sold out the American people to the highest bidder for decades, right? The, the, the country, the middle class has been shrinking. Income inequality has been growing. Like you, I come from Denmark. You know, I, you travel around America and it's like a third world freaking country, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, in, it's a mess. And I think that's by design, by corrupt politicians, corrupt in the sense that they need to raise so much funds to run their campaigns. Yep. Obviously, they become beholden to, to you know, special interests and you know, the media and um, the Silicon Valley work closely together with, with politicians. And then, you know, more recently, or I guess not even that recently, but China is a massive influence at, at every level, politically, at the federal level, state level, local level, universities, schools, et cetera, et cetera. That to me is the big defining thing. Right, the big defining, and so I will I will overlook some of Trump's flaws because I believe that he's the only one that's going to actually fight against that system. 
That's a good perspective, and, and I can appreciate that. I uh, certainly agree that that the system that we've had uh, is not working. I am not a fan of the two-party system, and um, I think it was John Adams, who was one of our founding fathers, said his greatest fear is that our country would be divided amongst two grand parties. And you know, like he wrote this beautiful like uh, you know transcript about that, and and no question that um, corporations, uh, you know different groups play a role in being the puppet master to what could be perceived as the puppets that are the politicians that we have in our world. And so to me, I can see how people would, would, would suggest that Trump represents that. Um, I also perceive him to be someone who has his own interests most at heart and um, you know, both with his own personal business dealings, lack of showing the transparency with his own tax returns. These are things that have, bothered me but then looking at people like the John Kelly's of the world uh, you know and, and General Mattis that you know have been inside they're not really politicians per se now we can say that the military is behind it too and if we want to go down that rabbit hole I'm not sure I'm prepared to have that conversation because that's a much deeper one but you know going back to it there's no question there's a lot of things I don't agree with about about Biden or about the Democratic platform as a whole and I also aspire to have a Mandela type of person be our president someday. And I aspire to, to change the paradigm and the system of this two party system that we have in our country. Cause I think it's, it's only tearing us further and further apart. You, you can go back to Reagan and Tip O'Neill. Uh, they had a great relationship. And if you look at even votes in Congress, they, they've, you've seen these maps maybe that, that show the divide or the, the commonality of crossing party lines for different bills. And back during the Reagan era, it certainly wasn't ever 50-50, but it was, it was people willing to cross the aisle a lot more. And today it's just gone further and further and further apart. I believe the consciousness and the energy and the tone that Trump represents does not bring us closer together. It actually moves us further apart, even amongst people within his own party as well. So that's I guess one of my bigger concerns, and I do appreciate the perspective of getting out of this two-party, politically corrupt system that we have. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's no 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 question that he's divisive. Um, I, I actually want to touch on the military thing. I'm sorry, but I, I think I, it's I think it's important to go there. I, you know, you're I'm of course familiar with the the famous Eisenhower, right? Like military industrial complex. Yep. And it, I I I do I do th- my assessment is that that military generals tend to you know rotate in and out of government or like from from military to industry and make lots of money doing that and they have an interest like the more wars america's in the better it is for them and a lot of other people media and everybody like a lot of people profit from from wars and i believe i've been told that trump is the only president that we've had in in many many years that hasn't started a new war which i think is a pretty good thing right um some of the war like afghanistan 20 19 years on right it's i mean ridiculous um so uh, yeah i think it's i think it's only natural that some of those generals are going to be you know not like trump and you know bolton and other people like that right they're going to come out and say say terrible things about trump some of which may be true or some of it may be um 
at least directionally true. And some of it I'm sure is just them, you know, trashing him because he's threatening their, their racket. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, um, there, there's a great book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which I read a number of years ago, and it certainly gets into the military industrial complex and, uh, you know, a lot of the potentially corrupt. And I'll, I'll you just use the word potentially just because to stay in some what of a position of neutrality um, dynamics <laughs> with our with our with the military and also with oil companies and building infrastructure projects in different foreign countries and in exchange for agreeing for military bases and and some of that dependency that we've really created with oil uh, around the world and what it, whatever it is, 700 and some military bases around the world that we have that certainly have a dependency of protecting oil assets and uh, you know billions of dollars that we invest per year in military just to protect the choke points, which is the the crossings of where we're transporting oil from over there to over here. So there's no question about that, that there's a lot of dynamics there. The people that, I guess one of the challenges I have when I'm communicating with some with some of my, uh, I would say less conscious Trump supporters or you know engaging in some of those more heightened dialogues around criticisms around Trump is that my perspective has been that when there's such a, a long history of people or a number of people either within the Republican party, because it's easy to say, well, the Democrats are against them because they're Democrats and they're socialists and whatever else that they're going to say. But when there's Republicans, lifelong Republicans uh, that have crossed the aisle that have said, and, and they've worked with him, that this guy's off the rocker and he's completely mentally unstable. He's only in it for himself. And there's no way I could support this man. That, li- that, that some people have a perspective that literally every single one of these people must be corrupt and they're the ones that are that are at fault and they have it out to get him and Trump is really the victim in every single one of these situations. That's a perspective that I've personally experienced in communicating and attempting to have a dialogue with people around that or there's this dismissiveness to kind of pass that off as if, as if it's not really Trump and it's because of, and then fill in the blank, whatever the because is, that it must not really be him. So right. that's been challenging for me. I, I can, I can totally, I, I totally understand that. I, I also think, I, I think that there can be multiple reasons why people would, Republicans would come out and, and say that, um, that aren't Trump. And this is not me saying that it's not Trump, right? I'm, that I'm not, this is not, but like, it can be like, there's no question that Trump's brand is toxic, you know, due to a combination of his nature and the media coverage. Right. Mm-hmm. And so do you really want to associate your, your brand as a politician with him knowing that a, he might lose this election and he'll definitely not be president four years from now. Right. Like four right. years and change. Right. So how closely do you want to tie yourself to Trump. So that's a concern, right? Like, yes, like he might be threatening your, your racket in some way, right? You mentioned the word victim, right? Trump being a victim. That's one of the things that I think probably bother me the most about Trump is that he's very quick to play the victim card. And then he'll be like the fake news and they attack me all the time. And it's okay. I can deal with it. I'm like, you know, so he's like, victim but not um, but i'm better than that kind of thing is like and yet like he does stupid shit all the time that just creates problems for himself right and just i mean i'm just like dude just that's where he's great grossly unconscious right like he just keeps 
keeps <laughs> tripping up in the same ways over and over again. And he doesn't seem to learn from it at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, and it is, it's, it's almost this, um, it's that reflex, right? That it's in the, the, the triggering mechanism. And once something gets triggered, even if it's perceived and not real that he's being attacked, he'll go back on the attack even harder and want to just bury someone. And then another thing that, that I've observed and, it, and it's not because of what the media tells me, although, of course, I watch different and I, want, I do my best to watch different sources of media to get a little bit of balance. But if I just pay attention to his Twitter feed and watch him speak and his words that come out of his own mouth, that there is this this igniting and, and he could say one thing to one group of people when he's on script. And then when he gets off script at a rally, the things that he'll say to rile people up. And to just fuel the energy from the people, he almost tells them what they want to hear. And, and the challenge is, is that, is that with the level of anger and victim consciousness that he communicates with, that he's this victim, there are people, like he said, the only way he can lose the election is if he's cheated. Um, no, he hasn't, said, he hasn't said that, though. Oh, I think he, he that. literally said that word for word. I'll do my best to actually find that. All right. Yeah. Well, what what I've heard is, is like, if he loses fair and square, that's, that's it. But he doesn't think that's going to happen because he, he sees the momentum in the country. But if he loses due to cheating, that's not okay. Yeah. And so he, he has said, the only way I can lose is if I'm cheated. And right. Then, right. Well, that's, I hear that. And, and then a couple days later, and, right. and then a couple days later, maybe then come back and say, well, if it's fair and square, but he said those words, Right. But I, I hear that as yeah. as saying I am very confident in my chances. So the only way that I can see me losing, given what I know and our internal polling and the momentum that I see is if there's cheating. I mean, and I can appreciate I don't hear a that. conscious person being able to actually step back and, and filter through that and, and get the essence of what you believe he's actually attempting to say. And I'll suggest that there are very unconscious people that we have in our society. Um, you know, you know about the, the plot to kidnap and behead the governor of Michigan that just got unfoiled by the FBI a couple weeks ago. Are you aware? I heard about that? I haven't looked into it, but what yeah. I heard about that was that it, it was a, an FBI basically goading people into it. There were undercover agents that have been watching this groups of people that have been training and exploding IEDs uh, and tests, and they had surveillance under her uh, home that were planning on kidnapping and killing her. And this has been going on with other governors as well. And those same people, many of the same people that got arrested were on the courthouse steps in Michigan just a few months prior. And Trump was tweeting and cheering them on and acknowledging them as good people. And saying doing very, what? very toxic. They were there protesting because they wanted their rights back because they were they were feeling that they were being suppressed because the governor was shutting down the state because of the pandemic. And so they were protesting the lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. They were protesting lockdowns yeah. with guns. They were showing up with with uh, with, you know, heavily armed and doing that. And Trump supporting them and saying that the governor needs to be. I forget the exact words that he said. Very toxic things that it's all her fault she's toxic, she's basically the enemy, and we need to remove her from office. So he speaks in these tones. And again, these are the, and, and I'm gonna do my best to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not consciously aware of how some people in our society might interpret that and the unintended consequences of those 
of that level of vitriol and anger to speak in that way and to encourage these people, I believe that that absolutely has a contributing factor to well, these type of plots that are playing out. I, I hear you. And, but, but isn't that like, the, it seems to me that's happening even worse on the other side. Like, oh, you specifically. know, tell, telling, you know, black people that they're oppressed in America, right? Um, telling, telling, you know, or indicating that it's okay to like riot and loot and burn shit down because you're, you're, you know, justifiably angry. How many people have died during these riots um, this year, including, you know, including black people, lots of black people have died in those riots versus how many died you know, because of something Trump said, like on, on, you know, this, these people, they were very peaceful in that demonstration, right? They might, they may have had their guns, but they didn't use them. Yeah. So I, I think that people have the ability to set a tone like you and I, we're sitting here having a really peaceful conversation. I love it. And we can have differences <laughs> in perspectives and opinions and, and hold an energetic field that's calm. That is, um, you know, respectful and considerate and we can agree to disagree and we can banter back and forth and find common ground, which is beautiful. And I love the essence of your podcast and what you're ultimately attempting to be a way shower for other people. I think that that's phenomenal. And at the same time, if you have two people and one amplifies their voice and attempts to start attacking the other person, then the opposite person, the other person has, a, has, an, has an opportunity to engage at that level and, and go back and go back again and then it keeps escalating it gets really really bad and i've seen i've seen fist fights break out in bars and i've seen all kinds of things happen i've seen companies deteriorate and collapse because of that type of dynamic when you get two powers like that and um at the same time the other person if, if they stay calm they can they can navigate through that in a much greater way to minimize the the um the escalation of conflict. And I would suggest that the president ultimately is accountable, um, no matter who the president is, because they're the president. For what? For the tone of our country and our political climate. And at the end of the day, they're accountable. And, and Trump oftentimes says that I'm not accountable and I take no responsibility at all. And you know, John Wooden- for, Go ahead. For what is he saying that? Oh, whether it's uh, the pandemic that's in, in the way that things have played out in a lot of different ways. If I've, I've witnessed him, Calvin, and I think anybody, if they go back and watch video footage of him over the last four years, if anything negative happens, um, he doesn't say, you know what, that's on me. I take responsibility that, that this is happening and, and that's totally on me. And, you know, John Wooden is one of my favorite mentors as a basketball coach. You probably may or may not know him uh, growing up in Denmark, but um, you know, he's just one of the people that says a strong leader accepts blame and gives credit. A weak leader gives the blame and accepts the credit. And, and Trump has that pattern of doing that. And that's a whole different conversation. But to go back to the, the situation in Michigan or where we're having violent riots that are taking place, there's no question that there's an opportunity for all people on the Democratic side and all neutral people to um, to invite people into a place of calm and say, you know what, these riots need to stop and the looting and all that needs to stop. No question about that. And I will completely acknowledge that. I will say also, though, that there were groups that were involved in these riots, like the um, the African-American police officer in Sacramento that was shot and killed. 
Uh, at first, it was blamed on or su su suspected that it was that it was the Black Lives Matter rioters, and in fact, it was one of the Boogaloo Boys, who's a right-wing extremist white supremacist group that was the, actually the person that murdered that cop. So I think that. Um, Which cop was that? In in what city was it? Do you say Sacramento, California? There was an African American okay. police officer that got shot and killed uh, during the riots, and okay. um, so. I don't know who was really behind, much like your suspicion about the wars and the military generals and who, you know, what their real incentives or motives might be. I can say this, that the riots that have taken place with Black Lives Matter has probably been one of the best things for Trump's campaign because he's used that as a rallying cry to get support and almost planted this level of fear that um, if Biden gets elected, then um, it's going to be socialism and communism. He's actually used the word communism um, that, that would come to America and using Seattle, using Portland as this example of what will happen in a Biden presidency. And again, also saying it's the Democratic states that are at fault. It's the Democratic cities and Democratic leaders. And again, it just fuels this divisiveness that it's them that are the reason why our society is collapsing. And it's me that will be the one to save us. And I just don't see it that way. And I believe that that language pattern and way of communicating absolutely makes things worse and it contributes to this divide that we have. And there's been no election in my life that I wasn't fully like, hey, if Bill Clinton wins, okay, fine. He's not my guy. If Al Gore wins, that's okay. And when Obama won, I fully embraced him, even though I didn't vote for him either time. Um, but I just feel that, that Trump's, predominantly responsible for that tone. And so what what do you see as like as Biden? What do you hope that a Biden presidency will do? If you see like I guess the metaphor that comes to mind for me right now is a pop bottle that's all shook up with a bunch of this like pressure and it's like this bomb that's about to explode that the air can get let out just a little bit. I see that Biden has an experience and a history of working across the aisle with other people. And, you know, he's not with us anymore as he passed away, but John McCain was a huge fan of Joe Biden and would have absolutely supported him. I love the fact that McCain, by the way, almost chose Joe Lieberman as his running mate. And I believe that had he done that instead of, uh, um, what's her name? Uh, Sarah Palin. Yeah, that, that he would have won the presidency. But just that willingness to even entertain the possibility of having a Democrat on the other ticket as your running mate was, was so weird. And I, and I love that about him. Um, John Kasich, Mitt Romney, uh, there, there's Republican leaders out there that are fully supporting a, a Biden presidency. And so I think it's like this, what I, what I am hopeful for is there's a willingness to work across the aisle. And I believe that while some people can sit there and say that what is it uh, Trump said at the debate that I've done more in 46 months than you've done in 46 years and, you know, making like jobbing comments like that. But really and truly the one thing I do see and perceive to be about Biden is that he is willing to work across the aisle. And I believe that any great government. Do you, think, do you feel like Trump is not willing to work across the aisle? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I, I haven't, I actually haven't seen him say a kind thing about any Democrat and I've seen him not only say. Have you seen Democrats say a kind thing about him? No, not at all. Um, no. I, I can't. I can't say that. And, and like I said, if if we're going to go Mandela on this, or I, I, I can introduce Gandhi as well, um, that a great leader can take criticism. 
mm-hmm. and let that bounce off their back and then put that olive branch out. But I think that I would suggest that Trump's demeanor and his tone has unfortunately invited a level of criticism. And I think it's okay. And, you know, Biden said this in, in the, in the town hall and I, and the debate and I, and I, may get the words completely wrong, uh, but the essence of it was it's okay to disagree with the person's judgment, but not their character or question their, their judgment and not their character or their policies and have a, a disagreement, just like you and I, but I'm not gonna call you a name, but I can say, you know what? I really disagree with what you're saying right now. And, uh, and you could say the same thing back with me and I'd be like, cool. I mean, I, I, we can agree to disagree. Um, right. There's just this escalation that Trump takes it to a, a whole different nuclear level, as opposed to, you know, maybe the, the fighting that we would see before is fist fighting. And he's out here bringing out like nuclear type of energy in terms of just what I see from him. Right. Yeah. There's no question. I'm trying to get my camera to focus. I think my big fear around Biden is to me, America right now is in an existential struggle with China and specifically the Chinese Communist Party, right? The, the country of China, the people of China are, are great, but the CCP, man, it's a nasty, like mafia operation doesn't even begin to describe it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Really nasty, bad totalitarian regime. We know that they want to be the dominant superpower. They want to take over that role from America. And um, Biden is in the pocket of the Chinese. I think that is like, historically, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, just on the, on the surface level, like he's been, been a supporter of like, Hey, you know, any development of China is good for America, like very supportive throughout his career, but also like the Hunter Biden situation with him getting what is it a billion and a half for a fund you know and some of that money is probably part of that i think it's 16 million dollars that biden has joe biden has earned for himself over the past four years since he left the obama administration a lot of that is probably kickbacks from china also other places right so that's my big concern is that he comes in and like china is relentless like give them four years of you know, having a the U.S. president essentially on the take and they're going to exploit that to the max. And that might just be the four years that made the whole difference. Right. That's concerning. And, and, and I definitely am concerned about China for a number of different reasons. And I will acknowledge I don't know enough about the uh, the Biden involvement in China to give you an intelligent uh, discourse back and forth uh, to go into the depths of that other than the fact that I don't take anything on the surface of what's presented to me through many media source. And so I, I think that there's, um, uh, it's the complexity to that relationship is very deep. I don't believe that Trump has done a great job necessarily with China, but I do believe he attempted to. I, and I will also acknowledge that Biden was not my first, uh, not first, second, third uh, um, person favorite in the, in the primary. Um, right. And, uh, we can talk about Mike Bloomberg another day, but I, I certainly uh, appreciated his perspective and what he said about how to approach and how to negotiate with China and digging yourself into a, a hole and the, I guess, the erraticness that I see with Trump's 
negotiation tactics that may work in business to overpower someone. I, I see China looking at that as like a fool. And you know, they, that's they, interesting. They uh, just real quickly, the, the thing about China too, uh, and this goes back to Sun Tzu, they, they have a 500 year plan. They don't look right. at it uh, as a four year plan even. And so, no, no. Yeah. And, and so that, that, that's the concern about them is they don't have this turnover. And so when Trump is looking at this is what I need for this next election or this is what I'm going to do right now, he's also looking at what's the GDP numbers and what do we do to facilitate growth? And and they're just not looking at it that way. Uh, so it's 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 a challenging situation because it's very volatile. Right. I, the, the, what I see is Trump is the only one in the U.S. government who is, you know, seriously pushed back on China at all. Um, and um, has he been successful? I, I think he's been, you know, he's been at least very successful in bringing it to the fore. Right. And he's and he has pushed back on things. And I think the, the, his erraticness can be actually be a very powerful uh, negotiating strategy, right? Like, I think you have to take anything that he says not at face value. Like when he's saying like, hey, we're going to walk away from the negotiations with the Democrats over a relief bill until after the election or or even after the inauguration or something like That's not his final position. That's his opening bid in a negotiation, right? You have to realize that that's what he's doing. And yet he has to do it in public and the public isn't smart enough to realize that in general. And so, you know, and then the media is going to run with it and say, like, he's crazy. He doesn't care about the people when in reality he's negotiating. Right. And I think some of the same things, like the fact that he's so erratic can be very powerful in negotiating wise, because it's like, what what the fuck is this guy gonna, willing to do? Right. Like tariffs are bad. Everybody agrees tariffs are bad. Boom. Tariffs, right? <laughs> or like, uh, you know, his like tweets with Kim Jong-un, like, you know, fire and fury, like you've, the world has never seen, like, la, 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 right? Like, where it's like, okay, he's probably not going to do that, but he just might be crazy enough to actually do it. So that like, gives that, you know, pause. Yeah. Look, I, I, I can agree that a very strong approach to China is, uh, is important to take on. And I think we need to look at the long-term picture of that. The erraticness uh, and the potential benefit of, of having someone in a volatile position and certainly going to the Kim Jong-un thing and, and his behavior around that, uh, it's, I, I can't get behind that. Uh, I, I feel that there are, um, again, not just poor examples, but I, I feel that it's like in poker, someone being an easy tell. And I think that the perspective with Trump is he's a very easy tell. And he's very easy to to pick apart because he's so predictable. And uh, and again, I, I I don't believe that that only him can be the one to fix it. And uh, it, it needs to be a team of other people. And remember, I don't know if you remember this when he first got elected. He built this this board, and it was amazing. Like he had Elon Musk, and he had all these business leaders that were going to be in this huge thing, and they were going to come together and rebuild the economy and turn this thing around. And and it fell apart so fast because no one could work with the guy. And there's this, this, I'm the one in control. I have the answers. I'm going to do this. And while I'll credit certain things that there's some success he has, and there's some benefit to having a, an independent thinking mind, um, I believe that any significant undertaking requires a team of experts that you lean on and rely on. and. And you don't think he's doing that? I don't. 
that's not my perspective of him at all. I no. don't. Yeah. And I mean, even as it relates to the COVID situation that he implies he knows more than Fauci or the doctors or um, well, I mean, says, that, so, I mean, hey, it's going to all be done within a couple of weeks. And I know this. And, and now he, he, he actually has the cure for it with this medication. Not like a really good medication that's going to help a lot. It's like it's the cure using words like that. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, that's, but that's, I understand, but that's, that's, I think like Trump uses language in a way that's different from most other people. I have a, I have a friend and therapist who's a, a genius body therapist, but linguistically he's not very evolved. Right. So it's taken me quite a while. Cause like I'm pretty advanced linguistically. So it's taken me a while to yep. learn to understand his communication style. And, and Trump is the same way. What I appreciate about Trump is that directionally he tends to be correct. And his gut instinct tends to be correct in terms of, his, his, the actual actions that he takes, right? Like his approach to Middle East peace, let's not pretend like the Palestinian issue needs to be at the center of peace in the Middle East. We can, we can completely rethink this in a way that no one else has ever done, right? North Korea, same kind of thing. Like he, he, he thinks differently, but you have to understand, you have to, like, you don't have to, but like in order to make sense of Trump, you have to realize that he does just use his language in a different way than you and I do. Right. And, and that's the thing. So for me, policies, approaches, skill sets, I can look at, again, if I'm going back to who I'm going to hire for a company, I can see someone as brilliant that might have great talents and skill sets that could help a company grow in some ways, but their communication style is so reckless or toxic that it's going to have a negative impact. And so for me, when I consider the whole, um, and yes, his communication style is different. And yes, I perceive it to be incredibly toxic and harmful to our society and our culture. These are the reasons why I'm, I'm not supporting him. Not because I couldn't have a conversation if we were to really dive deep at all of the different policies he's taken and positions he's taken that I couldn't find a handful or maybe many that I would be like, yeah, that was a pretty good move. And this was a good choice or decision. But I could say the same thing about a great sales rep that's just toxic to the culture of a company, right? Right. So that's that's one hundred percent where I'm coming from. Yeah, I think I think that's very 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 valid. Like, uh, do you want to touch on the the COVID thing again? Because like, I think the COVID situation is such a good example of of the fallibility of quote unquote experts and quote unquote science, right? Where, well, like just cause you're an expert in, in, you know, epidemic diseases and whatnot, doesn't mean that you're an expert on policy, right? Like, right. you know, lockdowns might be great for killing the, the virus or stopping the virus doesn't seem like it, but it might be like if they were actually in fact, or we yep. were actually able to do it, but they still might be terrible for the country, right? 100%. It can economy and suicides and you know drug overdoses and like long term consequences to to our psychology and plus like I, I think it's 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 uh, reasonable to suspect that the rioting and all that stuff was fueled in large part by people being unemployed and stuck yep. at home and isolated for months right yep, absolutely. Um, so so I think there's that that perspective which and then like the whole idea of of science like science the whole point of science is that it's never settled right no, we never right. know anything really for sure 
because there's yeah. always like a black swan. There's always the opportunity for new evidence and we're, we should always be learning. So this idea that like follow the science, like when, you know, it's always evolving. Right. Well, you do follow the science, understanding that the science always evolves. So right. it, it's like it's not that, that, that what we know today, like the initial epidemiology models were projecting a much worse outcome. And then as well, we had more cases, of course, it evolved. So that definitely I agree with. And following science is what any um, logical, well-minded person would do if you're going to approach a situation. But again, I will acknowledge this, understanding that the science absolutely changes. But well, two, well, two things on that, like one, like models, modeling is not science, right? Models are, right. are models Correct. and they can be a useful tool, but it's not science. Um, um, but, and, and also uh, the, the science is done by humans and it very easily becomes very political. I mean, the whole scientific paradigms, right, is, you know, there is this whole big peer pressure to hold on to you know, certain ways of looking at things and confirmation bias and the peer pressure to like, not, not, you know, speak out against the, what's correct, what's considered correct, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so science is deeply political as well. Uh, it should, didn't have to be, but it is in practice. Yeah. Like, that's like thinking that gravity is political. Um, you know, not it, gravity it, is political, but I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, Clearly, like there is there's lots of interests, you know, in oh. science, like, you know, funding and who's and, funding you know. something. There's no question about that and how the laws are set. And, um, and if you go against the conventional wisdom, then like you're going to be harassed by all kinds of people who have their identity and their livelihoods tied up into conventional wisdom. Right. There's going to be that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, look, I, I certainly won't sit here and say that Trump's responsible for 200,000 deaths. Um, that's. Um, people are going to die no matter what. Um, there's no question about that. And what I will suggest is that the handling of COVID, from my perspective, he was notified on January 28th of the Woodward was, interview. Yeah, that there was no, the Woodward interview was February 3rd. January 28th was the meeting with the officials to say, hey, there's a serious problem. And for him to minimize that, even as recently as I think it was March 3rd, March 10th, he said, hey, there's only a handful of cases, 14 or whatever in the country. And within a couple of weeks, it's going to go away and there'll be nothing. And it's no different than the flu. It's definitely worse than the flu. It's not the plague, but it's much worse than the flu. And to minimize that on that level and his reasoning was that I don't want to make people scared, I think is poor leadership at best. And I could say probably a lot of their descriptive words because words matter and leadership matters and he could have said you know what we have a serious problem right now and i'm going to get the best people in the world behind this and we're going to take care of it but this is a serious virus and we need to take this seriously and it's important to listen to experts and and uh and we're going to get behind this but just to at least set the stage that there's a serious challenge now i'll give him credit for, for closing down some travel from china i don't think he stopped all travel but there was some travel from china and a lot of the biggest cases that came to New York were from Europe and specifically Italy. So that was where a lot of the sourcing came from. So there was like this, let's blame it on China and call it the Chinese plague and all of these different type of things, which just fuels more hatred. And none of that was necessary. Like we have uh, a pandemic, it's serious. And to say it's going to go away in a couple of weeks and there's going to be no cases, that was just either 
completely in denial or he's lying to the people consciously because he doesn't want to scare them. And either way, I'm not okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you on, I think he could have, have handled that a lot better. I will say, I mean, it's, it's worse than the flu for older people. It's a lot less bad than the flu for younger people, right? The flu is, is worse than COVID for younger people. Um, overall, is it worse than, it's, it's definitely worse than the flu, like overall in, ter- in terms of deaths, right? But to me, it seems per- like re- pretty obvious now and has been pretty obvious to me since essentially mid-March when I started talking about this, that like the only path here, because it's, it's very contagious. Like I think back in, in May, 25% of the New York City population had had it according to to antibody random antibody t- assembling and then they stopped doing that which I don't that doesn't make any sense to me but to me the only practical solution here is protect the vulnerable and the elderly let everybody else go about their business as usual and catch it and I think that's the only practical thing that we can, can do we can't prevent all deaths we never we've never tried to do that with any other thing in society and we cannot it's not possible and um and i wish that he'd had the balls to to say that and and believe that but i mean we all got we all got scared and terrified and like hey what's what's going on here right yeah i i think uh time will tell you know obviously we have another wave coming it's the the season so to speak if it if it models the flu season at all we're going to have more spread and and we'll see where all this goes. But I certainly agree that taking care of the vulnerable um, I, I, is, is very important. And basic social distancing, or I, I think the terminology should have always been physical distancing instead of social. Because again, to your point of all the different psychological and mental health issues that have been created from this. Um, yeah. And then just basic things like wearing a mask. Like there's no question that it helps to reduce the spread. And uh, and I'm, I'm all about that. I, I, I feel... I'm not in fear whatsoever of whether I catch it or not. I hope I don't. And if I did, I'm not living in fear in that way. And uh, I completely support wearing a mask. And, you know, even Chris Christie obviously was in ICU for seven days and he's not exactly. Right, but he's, I mean, the, massively He's not the living example right? of a great healthy body. No, right. right. I'll, I'll, he's, I'll say he's, that. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely someone that should should in protecting health probably right i i'm pretty sure i caught it back in 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 early march um had four three days of fever losses of smell um no cough but but you know yeah i haven't been sick in 10 years so i'm, I'm kind of imagining it was that yeah and um and i think it was the best thing that, that could happen like catch it early get it get it over with right right you build immunity at least for a while you you yeah. can't spread it uh anymore and just yeah yeah. Like measles yeah. or something, right? Um, when I was a kid anyway. But again, there's just this way of erraticness of him talking about it. Like we, we, we can inject uh, things into our body. And he probably was talking about ozone therapy, which I think is actually pretty good. But it's just like the words he chooses to use. And it's almost like yeah. he's making things up as he's talking. It's like, dude, shut up. And, and, and just, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I, I just can't imagine that and it's so harmful and, and it just like the the erraticness and the impact that those words have on people um and then yeah it, it, there's so much about that that just uh, just it's hard for me to comprehend that a, that a leader in a leadership position could could speak that way and, and act that way yeah 
yeah, it's it's fascinating what a what someone with Trump's instincts, but but not um, but you know different, be, much better communication style and and uh, could accomplish right. Uh, oh, look, I, one of the leadership qualities and traits I love about people is like someone say, you know what, I don't know, I don't right. have the answer, but sure. I'm gonna go find out. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll find out. Uh, and you know what, man, I, you know what? I own that. I made a mistake. I, I really mm-hmm. thought that this was going to work and it didn't like, I love it right. when people can just speak and lead from that perspective. And, right. and if anything, I have compassion for him. I, I haven't read his, his niece's book. Um, but just understanding, you know, that she's a psychiatrist and, and the traits that she saw from him. And I'm not seeing this to knock him. I actually, there's a part of me that I've felt this way for a long time about him. I have compassion for him. I, I see him as a scared um, person that feels that he has to defend himself, that feels attacked. And these triggers are from a deeply rooted wound that he has in his psyche on some level that's never been dealt with. And it's just matured into his adult life. But this tendency to just attack people that disagree with him and the toxicity it's, that's associated with that is, is harmful. It's funny because we, we, we the, the question, the conversation here is, was like, you know, why do you vote for Trump, Biden, right? And then the, the entire conversation ends up being about Trump, which I think is indicative, right? I think that is why most people vote about uh, vote for Biden, which is also why he's like doing everything he can to stay out of the news and out of the headlines because he knows as long as Trump is out there yapping and he's going to dig his own grave deeper and deeper. Well, I'll say this. Here's a why Biden. And I believe this about him. I believe he's going to surround himself with teams of experts in different areas that he won't try to override and say that he knows more than them and bring people together. As I mentioned before, that there's this, I believe, a capacity to bring people together and work across the aisle that he has that Trump has never displayed. And there are way more Republicans that are endorsing Biden than any presidential candidate has had endorsements from someone of the opposite party. One of my sites I go to is rvat.org, which is Republican Voters Against Trump. And there are hundreds of videos of just people like you and me, as well as prominent people like the Miles Taylors of the world that have been in staff positions that are sharing their personal stories of why they're voting for Joe Biden. And and, uh, while I agree with you, there's no part of me that will sit here and say, I agree with Biden on every single front. He wasn't my number one or number two candidate, but who was your number one, Mike Bloomberg. Mm. And yeah. number two, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Okay. Yeah. I love Pete. Um, mm-hmm. If he had more experience, I, I really would have gotten behind him. I, I, I love his, his kindness. I think he could have undressed Trump a lot more, even with his, how articulate mm-hmm. that he is because he just doesn't, he doesn't really have that mean, uh tonality and, and and he's so articulate and intelligent and uh right. anyway and willing to honor people's perspective that have different beliefs mm-hmm. so when i see biden i see someone that is very good at smiling and glad silver tongued i think is the is the term right so his he he keeps saying that that he ran he decided to run because of you know Trump supporting white supremacists in Charlottesville, which didn't happen, right? Like he said, there are good people on both sides of the statue question, and I condemn white supremacists, you know, and neo Nazis completely. Those people should be condemned completely. That's what he said. And yet, Biden keeps trotting out that story, which he knows 
is a lie, but he also knows that it resonates with people and he doesn't have any problem with that. I respectfully disagree on that one too. Um, and it's okay. Uh, Trump did say that there's good people on both sides. Now he did condemn white supremacy, but that's an example of talking out of two sides of his mouth from my perspective. You know, even when he was asked in the debate, are you willing to condemn hate groups and white supremacists? And his, his response was, proud boys stand back and stand by. What was the term stand by intended to imply? Um, and, and I'll say this, from the white supremacists and these groups of people, they fully think that Trump supports him and he'll retweet them. And, and so but, it's almost but, like this, but, it's perceived as a wink, wink, like, hey, of course I have to say, I'm not, a, I'm not for you, but wink, wink, um, let me retweet something that you put out or stand by. Like, I, it just, I can't comprehend that if, if um, let's say it was Obama or um, even Biden for that matter, speaking to the, uh, the Black Panthers or some other group of, um, you know, to say stand back and stand by, or you know what, there's, there's some good people on, on this. And, and I, yeah, I just, I have a challenge with that for sure. It's, it's, it's so interesting for me. So, so like for me, it was very clear. He's saying like, not all the people who are against, who are for that statue or white supremacists, there are good people on both sides, even though obviously the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists are bad people like he's been asked about this over and over and over again more than any other president and, and he's d denounced them every single time and i think the proud boys thing is like you know just sure i'll condemn who do you want me to condemn i'll condemn them great and again this is trump's language he's not like he's not like oh let me condemn them in a way that kind of sounds condemny but not really i mean it's not how he operates in my mind he's just like yeah i'll fucking get i don't know the proud boys whatever whatever like yeah sure if they're bad, I'll condemn them, right? Um, he retweets them. So, uh, he, right, but does he, he, he has does a history he, of retweeting them. And, and to say with this, this is Does where, he retweet as in like, oh, I've, I've researched these people and I know who they are versus like, are they, is that tweet saying something the, that he agrees with or that supports his case? And then he's going to retweet them, right? He retweets pretty darn liberally. And we, I mean, again, I'm, oh, I, yeah, I'm with you that. He's retweeting the thing about bin Laden not really happening. Right. I mean, th th that to me is just absolutely insane as a leader. Who could, how could you do that? You're the leader of the free world. You're the president of the United States. And you're retweeting an article that shares that the, that the bin Laden capture never happened. Well, like, how, that wasn't what it and, said. And he said, though, right? and he said, I actually just want the people to decide for themselves. Oh, of course I know it's not real, but I'm going to share it anyway. No, when you share it and people read it. They interpret that as, this must be true. It's coming from the president. He's sharing this because he's true. He didn't ad lib to say, hey, I'm just sharing this. So you guys can decide for yourself whether this is true or not. He's, he's, he's retweeting it with the implication that he endorses that position or that, that conspiracy. I mean, that's one way to look at it. I see him as retweeting it in the, with the intention that he wants to give it, you know, uh, more circulation, right? So that more people see it. Give something that's a complete lie circulation. And where do we have a history? Do we know that it's a lie? I'm just serious question. How would we know? Like, like so that what I saw that thing say was that that Bin Laden was held in Iran for a long time, and the whole Abbottabad thing was 
something that was orchestrated to give Obama a, a you know a victory lap by by killing him, right? And that there was I forget the details, but there was like things around that whole thing that were that were deeply suspect. And like honestly, we we know that the the CIA, the NSA, the military, you know, black has done terrible, crazy stuff that we don't know about all over the world. Do we know that that something fishy didn't happen in that case? I mean, Obama, I'm sure Osama bin Laden is dead, right? I don't, I don't, I, I have no reason to doubt that, right? Yeah, I but think- we do, I mean, But I think the reality is we just, we don't know, right? A lot of shady shit happens. Right, and so if you don't know something, um, then talk to some experts and do your own internal investigation to find out, but to share that in that context or um, to not call out QAnon uh, in, in his town hall. No, that's a but why, why should he call out QAnon? Why should why should he? Like, I mean, has okay. like has, has Biden called out Antifa or like I mean, is it his job to call out anyone that people might disagree with that might like him or like I mean? Yeah, I I I personally see that group as a very uh, very very harmful organization that is spreading a lot of lies and doing a lot of. Um, but it's not a group and it's not an organization though. Okay. So, I mean, uh, it's not. Okay. So what, what would you, how, what would you call it? What's your perspective on q and Let's go I, there. Well, I, 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 mean, I, it, don't, it, it, I, I don't, I'm, I'm genuinely curious because I've, I've seen, I've, I've seen some people, I mean, you know, certainly believe that, uh, that Hillary Clinton and the whole ring of pedophiles and, and kidnapping children and the pizza gate that, that there's a very specific group of people that within this movement that are believing these things and are right. sharing these things. And there are people within the government and Trump that will retweet QAnon conspiracies and to share these type of, and I will call them lies and things that are just absolutely, um, I mean, a guy went with an assault rifle to the pizza place and Washington DC with the intention to shoot it up. Right. To go to the There's baby one, baby one store. person that did something. You know how many other people that, I mean, I, even that I'm connected with in my own life that, that believe these things that are sharing these things on the walls. Like it's just, right. and so to not speak out on that to is, um, and by the way, if Biden's asked about Antifa, and by the way, they're not a group or an organization either. You know that, right? They're not an official uh, group organization. I, I would say that they're way more organized than than QAnon. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I there's they, they have like uniforms and they travel around the country and and cause trouble, right? Would you consider like, yourself they, uh, anti-fascist yourself, or are you pro-fascism? I'm anti-fascist, but Antifa oh, cool. is, is a fascist organization in my, right. in so my view because they I mean they literally say they literally say like on their website something like if you you know basically i forget what it was but i looked it up but I was like, you know it's kind of the definition of, of fascism right they yeah. they're they're hijacking language to make it seem that they're good people when they're so, terrible from my perspective though if it's something like if you're asking me am i willing to call out someone on the left or the right that is doing either some type of harm or contributing to violence or more separation within our society, I'm going to say, absolutely, I'll call that out. So if Biden's asked that question and he denies it, and you can point to an example where he did, I'd be like, yeah, he's wrong for that. I'm not going to sit there and defend him. Well, he said it was or, an idea and not and not an organization and didn't condemn Antifa, right? 
Okay, then if, the if he did, I would say, you know yeah. what, I, I totally don't agree with that. And I believe that whatever darker parts of that organization um, should certainly be called out. Now, if there's people that have genuine beliefs around anti-fascism and they want to go protest in a peaceful way, I can support that, although I certainly personally don't agree with blocking streets and not giving access to people's homes and restaurants and doing harm for people. I think that there's a more peaceful way that does less of a harm to areas to protest. But uh, um, and so, yeah, if he didn't call that out, didn't call violence out, I'd be like, yeah, he's wrong for that. And I totally don't support it. I wouldn't even hesitate. That's right. right. So Trump was really giving that opportunity and and he did hesitate. So I just feel that that was a missed opportunity. And again, I think it's like it's a way of playing to the audience, whether it's the um, it's so funny. I, I didn't see him hesitate for a second. I didn't see him like playing. He was just like, what do you want me to condemn? I'll condemn them again for the hundredth time, 200th time. Like I keep condemning them. And then you're like, oh yeah, but you, you didn't quite really condemn. You were like hesitating a little bit. I didn't feel that you meant it in your heart. Like they'll make something up to make it like not real. And like, he's like, dude, what the fuck am I supposed to do here? <laughs> like, what do you want? Yeah, I, I think that I, I go back to, I grew up as a child here and Reagan was the president at the time. And I can see oh. the strength and the way that he would have spoken to oh, for sure. any of these groups or George for w. Sure. Bush or Clinton or, and I can stay along the Republican lines. It's not about, I'm not partisan. I'm more Republican in many ways than I am Democrat, but I consider myself an independent. Um, so I, I, I just, I see a, a wink wink is what a lot of people perceive it to be when he condemns a group and then later may either retweet them or reach out to them. Or I can certainly say this for whatever reason, they think he's hundred percent behind him. So maybe there is. Well, how do you know that? I mean, they, I don't know. I guess I've seen some of their tweets, some of their YouTube videos. I mean, from the groups themselves, but, uh, Saying that Trump is behind them or that they're behind Trump? Both. Absolutely. Especially the Proud Boys thing. That was like, that was almost like a badge of honor that they got. They felt like he was, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, they made a joke out of it, right? They ran with it, Um, which I mean, no way. I mean, I don't know. Like, I only heard about Proud Boys recently. Like, I mean, it was like. I I, I it's a tiny organization and then like yeah, i mean I never it's like condemn the private boys I'm like fuck yeah, yeah. Condem- like sure no. i'll condemn them right like i mean yeah yeah so it was a huge publicity boost for them i'm sure yeah 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 for sure yeah i had never heard of them. um yeah q i mean q just answer i i'm not i'm not a q on person or anything like that i don't i i spend a little bit of time uh looking into it at one point and like most of it is like very cryptic like you know, yeah. and then some Bible verses and some stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what to make of this, honestly. Well, the essence um, of some of the people that I, I know think that there's this great awakening coming and he's been the chosen savior. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's almost <laughs> like it's out there. Um, and, and, and so I, I think that he probably is aware that people think that he's the savior in that group and he doesn't want to alienate them. And, right. um, and it's like, it was almost like a, a rally cry to them in some way to, to not call that out. And, and again, yeah. I'm saddened when I see that. And when it comes to conspiracy theories, I'm, I mean, it's just a theory of a conspiracy, right? If you get arrested, you're arrested and you're charged with a conspiracy to commit. So then we get to do an investigation to find out whether that is valid or not. And so um, that term I'm indifferent about. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's 
it's always a good idea to be willing and open-minded to look at different perspectives and challenges or sources of corruption that we have in our society. But the way with which we go about it is, is important to me. And that's, it's just challenging to see some of these organizations that are sharing things in a way that I perceive as doing more harm than good. Yeah. I mean, that's how I look at black lives matter. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's unfortunate that um, that there's this resistance to say Black Lives Matter because well, the only re- way, reason there's a resistance is that that it's it's a, become a loaded term to mean the organization, which is to it's in my eyes a very harmful organization. Yeah, I don't know enough about the organization itself, so I cannot speak on their behalf. Um, and also, I think it's it's like not wanting to buy into this victimhood story that that like black people are oppressed in in this country in in general, right? I, which I think is a terrible thing to tell tell black people. Like the system is rigged against you, and you don't have any chance. I mean, if you want if you wanted to really you know make a population group suffer, convince them that they're victims and they have no no chances, right? Well. Out of respect for the for the topic, I, I'll refrain from from having a deeper dialogue uh, about this. But other than the fact that I'll say that um, I do believe that systemic racism has been very um, deeply rooted within our society for a number of years. I think that we've come a long way, certainly from where we were a few hundred years ago, just giving people the act the ability to vote. But there are other things, and this is where this is one of the things I loved about Mike Bloomberg in terms of just things that he has done um, and. Um, you know, things he's um, attempted to do to help um, the black community out. And, uh, and I do agree with you in the context that convincing anybody mentally and having that affirmation that they're a victim is not helping them out of a situation. But right. that also can come across as minimizing the fact that some people are in a, um, in a place where they don't have as many opportunities as other people do um, of that are white or that live in different parts of the country. So sometimes it's not necessarily about race as much as it is um, yeah. the, the geographic locality where you live, access to certain schools, right. water, whatever. But, but again, that's, that's something that, um, you know, respectfully, I, uh, if, if I had any of my black friends or, you know, people within that community, I would rather them speak on their behalf. Uh, sure. Other than the fact that I will say that, you know, no question. I, I want to do everything I can to listen and to hold a space and, and, and support to, to end that because I don't ever want anyone to perceive that, um, that they're living in a world that has even the, the, the slightest ounce of, of racism and the challenge that I think where things have gotten escalated. And I don't know enough about the Black Lives Matter organization itself, but the challenge that some of either the violent protests, some of the looting, rioting that's been assigned to them. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I know it to be true only because I don't. So I'm not going to say one way or another Um, that it has ignited this opposite side to say black lives don't matter or all. Has anyone said that? um, That all lives matter. the, 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 The connotation or association to say that all lives matter is certainly received as Black lives don't matter, or oh, this Black Lives Matter is so bad, and and so the association that many people perceive when they're hearing that is to dismiss the essence of what 
maybe the organization was originally founded for, or at minimum, the African-American community is speaking out for that they're not necessarily associating or aligning with what is perceived to be so negative about the organization itself at all, but they have challenges that they want to bring forth to have solved and they have a conversation around systemic racism that they want to address that is being dismissed as no. And not saying that black lives don't matter, but the movement of Black Lives Matter is bad. And I see when I turn on Fox News, like this dismissiveness of, oh, this Black Lives Matter. And, they, and it's talked about in a way that the entire movement and the entire concept of Black Lives Matter is dismissed and bad and corrupt and violent. And that may be the smallest percentage of the entire population of people that might align themselves with the concept of Black Lives Matter, but right. it's, but the entire movement, if you will, is is thrown out because of what is perceived to be a handful of people. Well, I mean, I think it's because of the like the 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 leadership and stated intentions and 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 real world results from it. I think that's what causes people to push back against that, right? Um, not just a few like random people in the in the group but yeah and, and so when i say black lives matter my african-american friends and my white friends and my other race friends that that support black lives matter i don't go to the website of that organization whatsoever at all i don't i couldn't tell you who the leader is so for me it's more the terminology that Black Lives Matter and the essence that, right. that there has been a challenge with systemic racism in our society right. for a number of years, not so, as an affirmation to plant into someone's consciousness that this is going to perpetuate and continue, but there are real conversations to have and opportunities mm -hmm. to clean things up to support the African-American community. That I completely support. Right. And, and my, my friends that are African-American that I communicate with um, that I'm aware of and the um, my other friends that support Black Lives Matter, to my knowledge, I don't know if they know the leaders of the organization at all. Um, right, right. They might. I don't know that. But from my experience, yeah. that's never been something I've talked about. Okay. And so I think um, it's unfortunate that it's turned into this well, I, highly yeah. politicized thing. Well, I don't. I don't think it's turned into it. I think it was, you know, very intentional from the outset. But uh, I'm curious about, like, so systemic racism. How do you define that? How do we measure that? That's uh, a great question. Um, and again, it's it's a it's a deeper conversation than I probably am equipped to have without pulling up data and knowing that this is what we're going to talk about. But um, if we look at the number of communities that were built, you know, and the redlining of districts in urban areas where loans weren't given, African-Americans didn't have access to purchase homes. The greatest right. way that people earn equity and wealth in our society is through home ownership. So and we agree that those things are no, are no longer legal, right? That's, those have all been stopped. Understand. And when you look at place with which where people um, live and grow up that sometimes it's multi-generational stain in, in similar areas or neighborhoods. Sure. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, how do we help support home ownership, even having access to banks and building credit and all of that? So 
I'm not looking at this as a punitive type of thing. I'm looking at this as, and this is probably where I agreed. And it's unfortunate that Bloomberg had some of the negative uh, stuff against him. Um, and I think he was just more of a dry um, orator of, of his, of his um, positions. And he was not a fun person to listen to because he's very dry and boring. But, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, the things he is still involved with, regardless of whether he became president or not, and will continue to do to help set up banks and loans and, and uh, business opportunities to support um, African-Americans and African-American community, I think is very good. But uh, so I think that there's just inherently, you know, some of those structures that are in place that have, that have contributed. So you're looking at today, um, the people that are growing up today may not have had a, the same level of access that All I right. certainly So the way that, so that what I hear you saying is that, that there is his like, let's call it institutional racism historically there's been institutional you know uh, racism you know redlining segregation even you know yep. those kind of things and even though those things have all been outlawed now history has consequences right history has consequences for today is there aside from those issues are you seeing systemic racism today well look i'll, I'll say this Kyle, but i'm not proud to admit it but i grew up in the in the, in the midwest and when I was like 10, 12, African-American community uh, family moves into a local community near us and stakes are put in the yard. Okay. Um, this is. Is that because they're black or because they're poor or just like. No, this, or, this is. These is are, there were racist people. Got it. That, that, so like, is that I racism? I can't believe a black community moved into our neighborhood. Right. Um, a, so a, is a that racist or community? Is well, that racism or systemic racism? I would call it racism, but I wouldn't call it systemic. I wouldn't call it systemic racism. Right. So, but then, so then if we look at, um, I mean, even, you know, whether it's people in hired in leadership positions, if people have that within our, within their, within their spirit and within their being, um, mm -hmm. that, that dictates the way that they hire, that dictates the way that they um, engage with people. Um, and so right. I do believe that there's challenges, I think on a, on a, you know, I don't know how we rid that out, the hate okay. or the, the, the bigotry or the, the racism that individual people live with. And I think it's hopefully, I like to think it's way less than it's ever been, but I don't know. I just right. know in my heart, I, I don't, I can't, I don't think I've ever felt that way myself, but right. um, when I hear stories, or with police officers pulling people over, why are you in this neighborhood? Why are you driving this car? I've had I've heard real stories from my African American friends that have shared right. that in recent years that they've had that happen to them, and it's just it's so unfortunate. Excuse my dog in the background. That's <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. No. Yeah, I mean, because I've I've been thinking. I think a lot of the stuff is about class and not about race. Although, I mean, I, I'm certainly not disputing at all that racism exists, that racist people exists, but, but I, I haven't, I haven't like to me, if, especially if, like if we're talking policy, right. If we want to make policies to address a problem, we need to be able to define clearly what that problem is and how to measure it so that we know if what we're doing, make it better or makes it better or worse. Yeah. And I haven't seen a workable definition of quote unquote systemic racism, which I think is a big problem if we are serious about addressing it. To me, it's like the, the main thing is like 
can we find out how to get better schools, right? So that we teach people from, from a young age and give them the skills that they have. Cause I think like the reality is for a lot of people, not everywhere, but in a, in a lot of places, if you have a black person and a white person and an Asian person that are absolutely equally qualified, most companies these days would hire the black person, right? Because diversity, it's better. Like you get brownie points for a very unfortunate term, term to use, but like, like you, you, it's like, it's a virtue, right? You get to, to show off like your diversity and all that stuff. And I, I, so I think it's, it's about how do we, how do we help, you know, raise uh, education? And I don't think it's a racial issue, really. I think it's, I think it's more of a class uh, thing, more of a problem with poverty. Um, and yeah, I would, that would, that's where I would start, better yeah, schools. I think um, the best way I can share how I feel is the saying to seek first to understand. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important to have in, in our society today and sitting with people that have been affected by anything, whether it's, uh, you know, sex discrimination or race discrimination, or even the perception that that's happened to them, rather than having a defensive position or, you know, not being willing to, to just be present with someone to really listen. I think that that's what we need to have more of in our society and get to the root of it. So definitely agree, better schools, no question about that. Um, and there's probably so many things that I'm not even close to being remotely aware of that I could never comprehend or pretend that my life and the way that I've grown up could understand what an African-American has gone through, or maybe a person just growing up in a different part of the country that might be of the same race. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but when someone says that they're feeling pain, and, and that they've had experiences, I want to sit and be present as much as I possibly can to understand that uh, and, and to do what I can to help overcome that. Yeah, I'm 100% on board with that. And I would also say like, you know, as, as a matter of policy and government, right? It's kind of limited what the government can do in that regard. Um, education certainly is one. And mm -hmm. I think that there, and again, that's something I'm, I don't even know what's being proposed to be honest with you in terms of either side of the aisle. Um, but uh, active outreach to help communities, absolutely. No matter whether, I mean, just specific geographic areas, zip codes, parts of the country where there's higher levels of poverty and crime uh, to address that and, and fix that. I mean, there's certainly no question that we could get into violence and all kinds of other issues around that but that would be longer than we have on our clock today yeah uh, but, we're uh, out of time officially yeah, we've yeah, done yeah, yeah. like overtime by yeah, by a yeah. bit here yeah. so let's let's find a nice way like we i love that we ended up with like probably the most contentious issue the heaviest, <laughs> like, of, of all of them and and uh and again I, I it's it's one of those things not that i'm not willing to have conversation it's just that in, with with certain topics i I really would love to defer and, and, and hold space for people that are that feel that they're on the receiving end or, or the ones that are affected by it more so than me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, Doug, like final thoughts. What are your, what are your takeaways from this conversation? Appreciate the, uh, the um, ability to have the conversation, uh, to have, you know, an understanding. I, I, um, I want there to be less division in our society. And, and I believe the path forward 
in this election uh, is with Joe Biden. Uh, and I'm very, I, I couldn't be more clear about that choice for myself. And, uh, you know, could get into other people that I perceive in leadership positions and that I respect that also feel the same way. But the bigger thing is, is that when we come out of the election here in a couple of weeks, I just hope we can start a healing process, no matter who wins. Um, but the tone uh, is what's most important to me. And that's my biggest contributing factor as to why I'm making that choice for Joe Biden. And um, we have, we're going to have a lot of healing either way, no matter who wins, because there's a whole group of people on opposite sides that if their side doesn't win, I can see how upset they might be. And I'm, I'm concerned about the ripple effect of what might play out. And so I hope there's more people like ourselves that are willing to be space holders and um, peacekeepers through this transition and uh, that we come out on the other side better. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you um, being willing to show up for this. It's, it's, um, it's, you know, not, not everybody's willing to engage and be yeah. honest and real in this way. So I really greatly appreciate that. I also f still feel like you've, you've um, formulated the best argument most coherent argument, most sensible argument I've heard for uh, Camp Biden. So really appreciate you. Appreciate you as well. Matt. And uh, it's just nice to know that we can not be enemies because <laughs> we have different perspectives. And oh yeah. my gosh, I want more of that. That's, that's the piece for me that uh, I, I wish you were here and you had a MAGA hat and I had a Biden hat. because <laughs> It's like with our arms around each other, because that, that it's, it's okay to have different, perspectives we just need to yeah. pull this down and and uh and yeah. uh yeah so anyway I, I appreciate the time for sure that's a good idea we should we should like have that <laughs> yeah i i actually did i i ordered one of these things i don't even know why but i i did i did order a, a biden hat so if you had a maga hat <laughs> I, I i do let me let me grab one here let me say hold on one sec uh, no <laughs> all right i got my i got two actually i got my trump yeah, 2020 that's, a better one. that's better than right. me um yeah by the way i love that painting in the background it's so good <laughs> yeah america yeah it's beautiful it won't it refuses to focus on the trump hat i also have <laughs> this. I, I think that maybe there might be a reason why that is my team biden and yeah. I, I also got this one because it's just so over the top it's so right. yeah. trump i'm yeah, gonna have to do my so thing again here. That it's blurry uh, there <laughs> right. we go fuck yeah. it keeps doing it well you, right. you can you can find a screenshot in this and that, that'll yeah, be yeah. uh maybe right. uh, what, what do you call that the the um yeah trump make america and then a signature and usa i mean that you can't you can't it doesn't get more all when you uh the, the 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 placeholder image that you use for the video oh the thumbnail thumbnail, the thumbnail. Yeah. That, that could that could be yeah thumbnail. yeah <laughs> yeah i'm like sure that picture is going to be all over the internet now <laughs> yeah never mind yeah <laughs> i actually so so um i got into i was i was team democrat my my whole adult life right mm -hmm. And then, and then, um, but I, and I had like very mixed feelings around Trump during the election, mm -hmm. but then after he got elected, I started to, to pay a lot more attention to politics and study and read. And like, I probably read 150 books 
on various political subjects, following a bunch of different sources that I would never follow before um, and uh, or listen to, deliberately seeking out information sources that I thought I would disagree with. And I found some really convincing arguments in it. Right. So um, but there was like one and then I started a live stream on YouTube daily, five days a week in early, like late winter of 2018. And I kept that up for a number, like a number of months. I forget how long exactly, which was my opportunity to really, you know, think out loud and like talk about the issues. And, and there was a moment where I was just like, so I was just like the the coverage of the, of this issue is just so one sided that I was like I'm gonna fucking go to Trump Tower and buy a MAGA hat. <laughs> so I was like I wasn't like I was just like it was just a, a rebellious kind of thing like fuck it and then and then but then the more I paid attention the more I became a fan again not of his style not of his tone but of his you know radically different approach to to uh solving some of these big intractable problems and his actual actions right his actual policies that he implemented that i think are are, are have been very good a lot of them i don't know mm-hmm. all of them but yeah so yeah yeah no it's uh i i can respect especially from a policy perspective even though there's a number of things that i would disagree with and we don't have time to go down the um environmental uh, conversation, but it's probably my deepest passion uh, in this mm. life that I just genuinely want to leave this world better than I arrived. And I believe right. that we as a species are doing that are, we're playing a significant role in, in uh, contributing to our climate. And, uh, but that's a, that's a whole different conversation. So if we want to have a follow-up part two, that, let's do it. I'm game. I'd love to. That's that's a yeah. seed. Yeah, because that's let's let's, there's that's a whole other conversation. So anyway, right. cool. Yeah, well, Team Trump, Team that. Biden. We'll, yeah, we'll do we'll do this again. We'll put on our dueling hats and then we'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, well, even after the we'll, election, who knows? Like, uh, right? Yeah, you know, we we'll, could have like a little. Um, I'd be willing to do that after the election. Mm-hmm. The. Uh, Whoever wins the election, the other person wears the hat. Sure. All right, cool. Yeah. Cool. Done. All right. All right. Hey, I appreciate <laughs> the time. Right. Uh, wish you the very best, and we'll, we'll catch up offline sometime again. It's been good to reconnect with you. It's been phenomenal. I, I really, really appreciate you, Doug. So yeah, great. Likewise. Yep. yep Thank definitely. you. Wishing you the best. All right. See you, man. All right, cool. Thank you for listening to the podcast episode. After 20 years as a serial entrepreneur, it's my passion to bring you ideas and insights from some of the best entrepreneurs, leaders, and thinkers in the world straight to your phone. We're going to be launching many, many more podcast episodes in the future, so please subscribe and leave a five-star review if you found any value at all from today's conversation. Your reviews and feedback mean the world to me.